Hello, everyone. My name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about our political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Tuesday. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed your weekend, spending time with your family or friends, watching tennis along the way. There's a little bit of news that we can get into for today. In terms of news outside of the tennis world, we can discuss Drake DMing Anthony Fantano, the music reviewer Anthony Fantano, calling him a light one at best, uh, sending him several messages, I mean, three in total. And just the overall clownery that is Drake when it comes to this sort of stuff and Anthony Fantano's response in, in terms of it. So we can discuss all that. And, uh, and within news outside of the tennis world, we can, t- we can continue with Kyrie Irving sharing a 2002 Alex Jones video that he released last Thursday, I would say, on his Instagram stories. So we can discuss all that and my overall thoughts on it, why I think it's a little bit overblown and why I believe that at the end of the day really doesn't matter. Uh, so we can discuss all that as well for the Kyrie Irving situation. Uh, we can also get into my weekly pick. So each and every week I recommend a book, a piece of art, a film that I really enjoy that I think you guys will enjoy as well. So we can discuss my weekly pick. But what we'll start for today will be the most pressing news out of the tennis world over the past four or five days or so. And that is the Davis Cup. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm only kidding. Only kidding. Uh, but congrats to Spain and America and, you know, a bunch of other countries, Germany, Italy, Canada, you know, for all for all making it to the next round, to the next stage. Uh, only joking. You know, obviously, it's not the most pressing issue uh, or the most important issue of tennis. We will obviously discuss the most important issue that has been facing the tennis world as of late. Roger Federer is has Roger Federer has decided to retire at the end of the Labor Cup. And this is pretty big news. This is a guy that obviously I'll read his statement. So this is from the king himself. This is from King Federer. Uh, This was what he released on his Twitter slash Instagram. Uh, So let me just pull it up right here for you real quick. Um, So Roger Federer. So this is from RF. I think he bought the logo back from Nike. Uh, So Switzerland, 15th, September, 2022. To my tennis family and beyond. All right. So when I saw this, I'm like, I knew this this was going to be a retirement because you kind of sort of knew that he would retire uh, based off what we saw from from his inability to play this whole year. I think I don't think he's picked up the racket this whole year. But to my tennis family and beyond. Of all the gifts that tennis has given me over the years, the greatest without a doubt has been the people I've met along the way. My friends, my competitors, and most of all, the fans who give the sport its life. Today, I want to share some news with all of you. As many of you know, the past three years have presented me with challenges in the form of injuries and surgeries. I've worked hard to return to full competitive form, but I also know my body's capacities and limits, and its message to me lately has been clear. I am 41 years old. I have played more than 1,500 matches over 24 years. Tennis has treated me more generously than I ever would have dreamt. And now I must recognize when it's time to end my competitive career. The Labor Cup next week in London will be my final ATP event. I will play more tennis in the future, of course, but just not in Grand Slams or on the tour. This is a bittersweet decision because I will miss everything the tour has given me. But at the same time, there is so much to celebrate. I consider myself one of the most fortunate people on earth. I was given a special talent to play tennis, and I did it at a level that I never imagined for much longer than I ever thought possible. I would like to especially thank my amazing wife, Mirka, Mirka, uh, Mirka, who he met uh, at the ATP. Uh, I think they were like a mixed doubles event that he met her at and whatnot. So 
they were both tennis players. Uh, who has lived through every minute with me. She has warmed me with up. She has warmed me up before finals. Watched countless matches, even even while over eight months pregnant, and has endured my goofy side on the road with my team for over twenty years. I also want to thank my four wonderful children for supporting me, always eager to explore new places and creating wonderful memories along the way, seeing my family cheering me on from the stands, and is a feeling I will cherish forever. Ever, ever. I would also like to thank and recognize my loving parents and my dear sister, without whom no, nothing would be possible. A big thank you to all my former coaches who, who always guided me in the right direction. You have been wonderful, and to Swiss Tennis, who, who believed in me as a young player and gave me an ideal start. I really want to thank and acknowledge my amazing team, Yvonne, Don, Danny, Roland, and particularly Sev and Pierre, Steve and Pierre, uh, who have given me the best advice and have always been there for me. Also, Tony, for creatively managing my, my business for over 17 years. You are all incredible, and I have loved every minute with you. I want to thank my loyal sponsors, who are really like partners to me, and the hardworking teams and tournaments on the ATP Tour, who consistently welcomed all of us with kindness and hospitality. I would also like to thank my competitors on the court. I was lucky enough to play so many epic matches that I will never forget. We battled fairly, with passion and, and, and intensity, and I always tried my best to respect the history of the game. I felt extremely grateful. We pushed each other, and together we took tennis to new levels. Above all, I must offer a special thank you to my unbelievable fans. You will never f- know how much strength and belief you have given me. The inspiring feeling of walking into full stadiums and arenas has been one of the huge thrills of my life. Without you, those successes would have felt lonely, rather than filled with joy and energy. The last 24 years on tour have been an incredible adventure. While it sometimes feels like it went by 24 hours, it has also been so deep and magical that it seems as if I've already lived a full lifetime. I've had the immense fortune to play in front of you in over 40 different countries. I have laughed and cried, felt joy and pain, and most of all, I have felt incredibly alive. Through my travels, I have met many wonderful people who will remain friends for life, who consistently took time out of their busy schedules to come watch me play and cheered me on around the globe. Thank you. When my love of tennis started and I was a ball kid in my hometown of Basel, I used to watch the players with a sense of wonder. They were like giants to me, and I began to dream. My dreams led me to work harder, and I started to believe in myself. Some success brought the confidence, and I was on my way to the most amazing journey that has led to this day. So I want to thank you all from the bottom of my heart to everyone around the world who has helped me, who has helped make the dreams of a young Swiss ball kid come true. Finally, to the game of tennis, I love you and will never leave you. Sign Roger Federer. And I wanted to read this in, in, in its entirety because I don't think people realize the severity and the importance of Roger Federer retiring. Roger Federer was an individual that changed tennis for good. And he made individuals realize the importance of supporting people, not through nationality, but through supporting a tennis player based off their ability to play tennis. Before Roger Federer, a lot of people value tennis through people riding on nationality, people riding on their own country. You know, American American tennis fans only supported other American tennis players, whether it was Connors, whether it was McEnroe, whether it was Sampras and Agassi. And while there are individuals that did support other tennis players for not supporting the American flag or not donning the American flag, generally speaking, t- tennis was viewed as a sport for for American p- fans to only support other American players. And when Roger Federer came on tour, 
in the late 90s and really succeeded in the early to mid 2000s and started succeeding in the early to mid 2000s. He made people realize that tennis is far more than just the country that you support, that you can support a tennis player despite him not being in the same country as you. And I don't think people really take that into account. You know, ten- Roger Federer was not just a tennis icon. He was a cultural icon. He was an individual where if he was playing on final Sunday, you dropped everything you could to watch him play. And it's going to be very tough for the ATP to find another player like Roger Federer once he retires after playing the Labor Cup. And I I don't think people understand just how important Roger Federer was. Every time he played on a final, you sat down with your family and you watched. I still remember you know, staying up, not staying up, but, you know, waking up with my parents on a lovely July day in 2008, watching the 2008 Wimbledon final between Rafa Nadal and Roger Federer. I remember that day vividly. I remember that day when it was, you know, when it was, it felt as if, you know, it would be canceled due to how long it was because of the fact that, you know, it was getting dark and very few Wimbledon finals as of that day or as of that day really had the ability to be played despite how dark it was. I remember that day vividly. I remember that day, you know, seeing, you know, Rafa Nadal, you know, triumph over Roger Federer and and do so in a way that was really just sort of chess-like in a way. And I remember, you know, I, I know this is another match that Roger Federer lost, but, you know, the 2009 uh, Australian Open final between Rafa Nadal and Roger Federer. I mean, the digs that Rafa Nadal had, you know, the elegance of Roger Federer's backhand was in full effect at that day. You know, there were several of the times where he watched a player and like, this is just amazing to see. You know, I mean, Novak Djokovic's, you know, the semifinal with Novak Djokovic in 2009, one of the best tweeners ever. You know, that was the tweener game, you know. Uh, that's one of his best best performances. You know, Agassi in 2004, the, the quarterfinal with Agassi in 2004. You know, that was another great game that he was able to win. You know, the 2009 French Open final, the, the only French Open that he actually won against uh, Soderling. You know, with an amazing kit, by the way. I mean, Roger Federer had an amazing kit, a Nike kit that he wore, uh, which was just amazing to see, just beautiful to see. But again, I don't think people understand just how much tennis will miss Roger Federer. I really don't. You know, I think this will reverberate for the next few years to come. You know, to me, like Roger Federer exemplified tennis. And he was an example of what tennis could be. You know, a person that values hard work and effort and, and doing so in a classy way and and really making sure that tennis had a figure that could represent the sport well you know those are key figures or key things that are sort of lacking in tennis amongst the current generation of players and when i say the current generation of players i mean the zverevs and medvedevs and, and the sitsipases you know while i do have a lot of respect for them and i think they are you know, great tennis players, you know, I don't think that they will have the ability to ever leave the same footprint as Roger Federer has had for the, for the past 24 years. And I think that will be what Roger Federer's legacy will be, an individual that was able to carry himself by class and do so in a way that essentially led other people to follow in his footsteps in a way where it can never really be replicated, but do so in a way where tennis can still be viewed as a sport that is gentlemanlike, 
that values honor and integrity. And I think Roger Federer was the torchbearer for that in ways where previous tennis players, even tennis players after that, still have not quite been able to do. So, you know, it's it's tough to really put into words how much Roger Federer will be missed. It really will. Um, you know, I, I sort of didn't cover it on Thursday because I, I wanted to, like, sit back and really sort of not only be thankful for Roger Federer's career, but so, sort of be mindful and and understand just how much of a hole it will be on tennis once he does retire. Because we knew that this would, this would be happening. I mean, 2022, he's played in no majors, no tournaments. You know, we sort of knew the writing was on the wall when he got bageled by Hercatch last year in that third and final set. You know, we knew the writing was on the wall for Roger Federer by then. But we didn't know how immediate it was. And I think when you saw this come out, it made us realize that tennis can be a sport where some of the biggest stars can retire and that these players are not, you know, they're not going to compete forever. You know, they're not Tom Brady, you know, the, the, you know, it's no, not everybody can be Tom Brady, you know, not everybody can, you know, play until they're 45 and, and 46 and, you know, play at the highest level. You know, sometimes, you know, athletes are on the clock and sometimes their body, you know, cannot physically adjust to what their mind is saying. And I think this next week or so, with the Labor Cup coming up, the next week or week or so, maybe in a week or two weeks from now, watch Roger Federer. You know, do your best to watch Roger Federer and, and sort of understand that this is his last tournament and understand that even though he may not have the result that you want, you know, be honest and realistic. You know, obviously it's important to be honest and realistic, but understand that it's important to support him more now more than ever before and to be thankful and understand just how much he's meant for the sport of tennis. And I feel like this Labor Cup is the best, best example for that. So go do that because I certainly will. I will definitely be watching Roger Federer compete and perform for tennis and in tennis uh, because of just how much he means for the sport. I mean, I don't think people understand, you know, just how much he means for the sport. I mean, he's one of the few players, I mean, him and Rafa Nadal, but I mean, I felt like Roger Federer at one point or another, when he was playing at the U.S. Open, you know, even when he was playing against Sampras and Agassi, more often than not Agassi than, than Sampras, but he was one of the few players at the U.S. Open that got consistently cheered on, even when he was playing against Agassi. Like, do you know how impressive that thing is? You know, obviously you'll hear like a muttering of applause and whatnot for other players, despite them not being American. But no, there were full-on cheers when Roger Federer was playing against Agassi at the U.S. Open. Do you know how foreign that concept is beforehand? Before then, it was like, no, if you're an American, we are going to support you through to the day we die. But Roger Federer changed things up a bit. And he made people realize that, no, we should support tennis for the skill, for the, for the class, for the honor, for, for what they've done. And I feel like Roger Federer was an example of that in ways that no other tennis player can really replicate. And I think, you know, and I know, you know, I'm, I'm sort of going on and on about this, but understand that there will never be another tennis player like Roger Federer, ever, ever. You know, a person that was able to have unanimous support. And I know the Djokovic fanboys are out there, but who cares? They're, 
they're you know they're a cult now i, I think it's i think it's fair to say they're a cult uh the Djokovic fan base fanboys are a cult but i i do think that it's very very important to say that you know there's not going to be another player like roger federer on the tour you know like understand i mean maybe alcaraz but i think in terms of global outreach of the game it's it's not going to be the same it really isn't you know for over 20 years 24 years you know he's exuded class excellence the ability to compete and, and his drive you know even when he was 40 years old and even though he was competing at the french open in Wimbledon last year you know he didn't you know throw in the towel you know he was still able to give his best work at those tournaments even despite him losing i mean think about it he was 40 years old and he competed at the quarterfinal of wimbledon do you know how how one in a million chance that is do you know how how few opportunities you know how many how many players have been in that position where they were 40 years old and they were not able to reach in the top eight and roger federer was able to do that at the age of 40. so again it's just one of those things where you watch and you're like, you know, he was still able to bring it. And I know his body is not, you know, in sync with his mind. Just, you know, I think, you know, his body's telling him that, hey, you know, it's 41 years old. You got to retire. It's, it's called a wraps. It's over, you know. But again, it's one of those things where you watch and you're like, you know, I still think he can still compete. You know, I still think he can do well against Tsitsipas and, and Zverev and Medvedev. You know, maybe not so much Alcaraz or Tiafo or um, maybe say Kyrgios as of now, but I still think he can, he can compete. I really do. Um, but anyways, those are my thoughts on the Roger Federer news, on the situation with Roger Federer. Very, very sad few days. And I don't think we'll really understand how much this sport has is going to miss Roger Federer until he retires. Now, who knows what will happen? Maybe he'll get a media deal. I'm pretty sure if I'm sure, pretty sure there will be bidders with ESPN, with Walt Disney and the Tennis Channel, the Sinclair Media Group. You know, there will be bidders, and I think he will get paid handsomely to be like a broadcast personality. I think you're, you're going to see a figure in the same extent as, say, Brady with Fox Sports. I think you'll see a six-figure salary deal or a six-figure deal worth up to $500 million, 10, 10 years. You know, maybe not Tennis Channel, but ESPN. You know, I, I think Walt Disney can shell out that much money for Roger Federer to cover, you know, Wimbledon and to cover the U.S. Open and Australian Open. Maybe NBC with um, NBC Universal uh, with the French Open. Um, but again, it's going to be one of those things where I don't think Roger Federer in tennis will be extinct. Obviously, his playing days are numbered. You know, I think we all know Labor Cup is his last tournament. But I think he will still be commentate, ta- commentating and covering tennis in certain, some extent or another. Uh, maybe he could be a coach. Um, I don't think that's the most likely option. But I do think that he he will cover tennis to an, to an extent where we may still see him on court, you know, conducting on-court interviews and whatnot. But I do think you'll get paid handsomely if he decides to be a commentator slash analyst for NBC Universal, for Walt Disney, maybe Sinclair Media Group. I don't know if Tennis Channel has the pocket to uh, pay Roger Federer, but 
for those two for those two companies specifically for Walt Disney and for Universal, I think they will pay him quite handsomely if they decide to hire him to be an on-court personality slash analyst for those networks. So yeah, those are my overall thoughts on that. And if you want some matches to watch on Roger Federer, go watch the U.S. Open semifinal with Djokovic in 2009. Go watch the Agassiz 2004 quarterfinal, the 2009 French Open final. Um, watch. I mean, there's some losses under you know Roger Federer's belt, uh, but they're still great matches. 2019 Wimbledon final, 2008 Wimbledon final, 2009 Australian Open final. Um, those are some matches that are off the top of my head and that I had uh, in my computer na- notes app that I think you guys should definitely, definitely check out uh, in terms of great, great tennis matches that were done by Roger Federer. Uh, so go check them out. Really, really good uh, matches. Anyways, I think that's it for that topic for right now. All right, let's get into news outside of the tennis world, uh, shall we? So Kyrie Irving, basketball star point guard for the Brooklyn Nets, uh, who was quite adamant in not getting the vaccine and decided to not get the vaccine and miss significant playing time because of it, uh, because of the vaccine restrictions over the past year or so. Uh, I don't think that's going to be the case now. I think the vaccine restrictions are sort of eased up. Uh, I don't think I had to, ever had to show my vax card to anybody uh, besides like in the early days of the, when that was quite prevalent. But overall, I felt like over the past few months or so, ever since summer has started, I don't feel like I've ever had to show my vax card to anybody. So I don't think Kyrie Irving is going to have to deal with that situation ever again. But nonetheless, Kyrie Irving, a guy that's sort of hesitant to take the COVID vaccine and whatnot, has some quite pretty wacky conspiracy theories. I think he once said the earth was flat. He may have refuted it, but he had, it was on record that he said the earth is flat. Uh, is in trouble. Kyrie Irving is in trouble for sharing a 2002 Alex Jones video. So Kyrie Irving, from this is from the New York Post, Kyrie Irving shares old Alex Jones, hashtag, oh, hashtag end quotes, New World Order Conspiracy Theory, hashtag. Uh, and, and this is from the article, Kyrie Irving is no stranger to conspiracy theories. On Thursday, the Net star shared a 2002 video of Alex Jones decrying a New World Order to his Instagram story. There is, tyrannical organiz- there is a tyrannical organization calling itself the New World Order, pushing for worldwide government, Jones says in the clip on Instagram, a cashless society, total and complete tyranny. By centralizing and socializing healthcare, the state becomes God. Basically, when it comes to your health and by releasing diseases and viruses and plagues upon on, on us, we basically get shoved into their system where human beings are absolutely worthless. All right, so that's basically the gist of it all. And I saw, like, people you know, sort of being, like, surprised at Kyrie Irving for doing this. I'm like, the guy that is known for, you know, not taking the COVID vaccine and, and saying is the earth is flat, you're, you're surprised that that guy isn't Alex Jones? And not only that, but, I mean, you'd be surprised by the amount of people that are in support of Alex Jones. I mean, and not in terms of, like, the more barbaric ideas, but in terms of finding himself as a fun, funny not i wouldn't say i wouldn't say you know informative but a funny humorous entertaining guy there's a lot of individuals that view alex jones in that vein and that don't take him seriously and i feel like Kyrie irving 
I think he's in that camp. I don't think he takes I don't think he takes Alex Jones that seriously. If anything, I just think he views him as like, hey, you know, he's a guy that is funny, informative, not informative, funny, entertaining, but sometimes has ideas or views that are somewhat to be true. You know, there are times where Alex Jones is right, you know, but there's a lot of times where he is wrong. I mean, the Sandy Hook thing is a textbook example of somebody being wrong and not owning up to it. And I think Alex Jones right now needs to like chill on that. Like I, I've seen videos on him on Band Dog Video where he just goes on and on about Sandy Hook. I'm like, dude, this is like 11 years old. Stop focusing on this. Stop fixating on this. You know, do what you do the best, which is focusing on focusing on wacky conspiracy theories that end up being true. The Sandy Hook thing has been proven to be false. The, the, the conspiracy theory surrounding it has proven to be false. And the fact that he just continues to dig himself in a deeper hole day in and day out it's like, dude, do you want to go to jail? Like, do you want to be fined out the wazoo even more than you already are? Do you want to fold Infowars? Like, is this something that you truly want to fight on or fight for in hopes that your company ends up being in the shitter? You know, like, it's one of those things where, like, I view Alex Jones the way that anybody should view Alex Jones, which is somebody that is entertaining funny, but also somebody that you should not be viewing for information or for news. You know, that's sort of how I view Alex Jones. And I think that's what a lot of people should view Alex Jones as, you know, and, and to see, you know, him dig himself in this ditch that he cannot get out of is, is quite, I wouldn't say sad, but it's quite depressing to see, you know, because you expect Alex Jones to be more self-aware, you know, not take himself so seriously like that. You know, I feel like Alex Jones should know that, that people don't view him as his informative guy. They view him as an individual that has wacky conspiracy theories that end up being true. And I think that's something that he needs to realize. But anyways, in regards to the Kyrie Irving situation, again, I don't think people should put that much stock into it. You know, I think he is an individual that is very, he's he's very sort of cult of personality-ish. You know, he's, he does, you know, follow the, you know, In Living Color or Living Colors Cult of Personality song. He is that kind of guy. Um, but I do think that in a lot of ways that uh, that at the end of the day, like what Kyrie Irving should really do is just like, it's just a video. You know, I don't think people should really put that much stock into it. It's just a video that he decided to post and yeah, there's a lot of things in this in what Alex Jones said that are kind of weird and and kind of kind of sad. I mean, I don't think centralizing and socializing healthcare is that bad of an issue. Like, I don't know if government healthcare is that bad. I mean, I think we kind of need government healthcare if you if you've seen how sad our current society is. I mean, when you think of people rationing insulin, I mean, there are diabetics that ration insulin, like life-saving medication that they had to ration because they're afraid of paying upfront cost on insulin you know so i don't think socializing healthcare is a bad thing obviously a cashless society kind of sad uh but our cash is not even real to begin with it's it's not even backed by gold anymore so it's not a real thing our, our cash is not real it really isn't uh there are people that have like money printers at home there are some rich people that all they have to do is just print money and and they have money right there then and there i mean there are some individuals that are so high in society that all they need is like all they they're basically just given a money printer because they just have like a gargantuan amount of income underneath them so i mean i don't know if casual society is that big of an issue i mean it's kind of sad if we don't see like physical representation for money but i at this point in time like we use apple pay 
we use credit cards, we use debit cards, you know, we're more or less not really using cash in our society. We use Venmo. It's not like we use cash a lot in our society. I still use cash, you know, but I, I think, you know, for a lot of individuals, uh, it's it's not like that anymore. So it's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, there's some truth to what Alex Jones is saying, so I understand why Kyrie is posting it. But, I mean, for the people that are, like, up in arms about Kyrie Irving posting this video, it's like, you can also admit that sometimes Alex Jones is right. You know, I think that's a very important thing to say. Like, there are certain things where he is right. Obviously, call him out when he's wrong. You know, there's nothing wrong with calling him out when he's wrong when it comes to Sandy Hook or whatnot or, or other, you know, things that he does get wrong. I'm sure there's other things that he does often get wrong. I'm, I'm, I wouldn't put it past him. But at some point or another, you also have to admit when he's right. I mean, there are times where what he was saying was right. When he says when they release diseases and viruses and plagues upon us, you know, I mean, there are times where the government is complicit in terms of, you know, spreading a disease. You know, I'm not going to name what disease they are complicit in, but there are some times where they will fund gain-of-function research to allow a said disease to be spread not only through China or not only through parts of Asia, but also through the entire world. Uh, and sometimes it bites us in the rear end. You know, I mean, there are times where, you know, the government will fund gain-of-function research for a specific virus that ends up being a pandemic. Uh, so again, I don't really get why people are so up in arms about Kyrie Irving, uh, posting this video. I, I really don't. I think it's kind of sad when I see that happen, uh, because at the end of the day, it's like, it's quite normal for an individual to repost Alex Jones. I mean, if you're surprised that Al Kyrie Irving reposted Al an Alex Jones video, Wait until you see like what your average suburban friend from high school is doing on Facebook, or on Instagram, or on Twitter. Um, I know people expect more out of Kyrie Irving because he is a basketball player. He should conduct himself in a different way, which I understand that critique and under argument. But again, it's like this is the norm. Like this is what happens when you have a melting pot or if you have the intersection or the combination of public personality and, and social media. You're going to see individuals expose themselves for who they are sometimes in a good way sometimes in a bad way but sometimes in a way that is just baked in reality and this is a story that's baked in reality an individual that's posting a alex jones clip should be something that is quite the norm because we see that all the time so again it's it's one of those things where i i don't really understand the need to like comment on this in a very like harsh way uh, hopefully like I, I'm not doing that because, I, you know, I mean, I see Alex Jones videos all the time, whether it's from like the left covering it or the right covering it. I don't think this is anything different. I don't think you left like a caption like saying like true that or like facts or 100 percent or fire. Like, I don't think I saw that emoji next to it. I just saw him like reposting it. So who knows what can happen or who knows what he really wanted to say. But and then at the end of the day, it's it's one of those things where I don't think you should put that much stock into it. You know, I think there are far more pressing issues and matters that are far more worth discussing than, say, you know, Alex Jones uh, being reposted by Kyrie Irving. You know, I mean, we still have healthcare that, you know, that we need to fight for. You know, we still have, 
you know, a system that is made of oligarchs and plutocrats that, you know, ruin, you know, our, our governing bodies and, and ruin our ability to make a living and, and to help out our children and children's children and, and our own families. You know, we are living in a system that, you know, craves constant war and sending our poorest 17 and 18 year olds to die in a war just in the hopes of getting college tuition or, or a discount off of their, uh, tr- you know, education. You know, we are dealing with far pressing issues than, you know, Kyrie Irving posting an Alex Jones video. And I think that is something that, you know, people don't really want to admit, but it is true. I mean, there are far more pressing issues right now. We're having a 78-year-old president president who, you know, is, is doing everything in his power to, you know, make sure that individuals don't trust him. I mean, would you trust Joe Biden? I don't trust Joe Biden. Nobody should trust Joe Biden. You know, I mean, he's an, he's an individual that where that isn't really offering any sort of confidence in America. Like when I, when I think of America, I want like a person that, you know, really is an example of America. And, you know, I don't think Joe Biden is that example. I don't think Joe Biden gives you comfort and being an American, you know, I don't think Joe Biden gives you comfort in this system, you know, and I feel like, you know, regardless of what you may say about Obama, at least he gave, he gave that confidence, you know, whenever he was the president, you know, when he was president, you know, he gave confidence and uh, in, in reassurance that, you know what, things will be okay. And we all know Obama was not that, but, you know, we can admit that Obama was that guy where like, you know, what, we're, we're going to be okay. You know, we don't see that with Joe Biden. You know, I think right now with Joe Biden, you know, we're like, you know, we sort of view America for what it actually is, you know, and and, and that's, I don't know why I'm talking about this in regards to Kyrie and Alex Jones, but you know what I mean. Uh, so again, I think that, you know, it's the off season. Things are different for the NBA. Um, I'm sure it'll be different in a month or so. I think Kyrie Irving will focus on basketball. I don't think so. I think I'll just continue posting Alex Jones videos, but Hey, I don't mind it if he continues to post Alex Jones videos. As long as it's like wacky and out there, then I don't mind it. I think, you know, the average journalist will be like shredding him to to pieces, but it's like, why? Like, it, it makes no sense. There, again, as I said before, there are far more pressing issues that needs to be focused on than a multimillionaire basketball player who occasionally plays games uh, p- reposting Alex Jones videos. That being said, I don't think the Brooklyn Nets are going to be making the NBA Finals anytime soon. You know, if they continue to have Katie and Kyrie Irving, you know, man managing the entire operation, I do not think that you will see them in the finals. I think they'll be one and done, one and out uh, for the next few years to come until their contracts run up, and then they'll move on to the next thing, whether it's Lakers, the Clippers, or the height, the Heat, or you know, the Warriors, whatnot. You know, until they move into that next big market team, I, I think you will see uh, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, you know, have one and done seasons from now until the foreseeable future. I do not see them winning a final, but that's just my hot NBA minute for you guys. Uh, I think it'll be the Celtics, and um, most most definitely it will be probably the Celtics for, for years to come, uh, coming out of the East. If they're able to keep Brown, Tatum, and all of those other individuals that were integral for the 2021-2022 NBA Finals run. So that's overall my NBA minute. Uh, I, I don't really cover the NBA. Um, but because of the Celtics reaching the finals, I started to sort of gain interest in the NBA. Uh, anyways, those are my thoughts on the matter in regards to um, Kyrie Irving sharing a 2002 Alex Jones video. 
let's get into news outside of the sports world. So if you guys didn't see on Thursday, Drake DM'd Anthony Fantano on, I would say, late Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, he he showed three messages. So Drake DM'd Anthony Fantano and showed him three messages or texted him three messages in regards to Anthony Fantano giving Drake a not good review on his latest album, uh, Honestly never mind. And he says, your existence is a light one and the one is a ca- is cause you are alive and cause you somehow wiped a black girl. I'm feeling a light to decent one on your existence. So he DMs Anthony Fantano. He makes it public by posting it on a story. And Anthony Fantano made a video saying how like he shared him vegan cookies or whatnot. I think it was like clickbait or whatnot. Uh, sort of, uh, sort of, you know, exceeded the truth or whatnot. Uh, and then Anthony Fantano came up with like this incredible like insult on on Drake, which I thought was quite hilarious. I, th- I think it was like on his Instagram story or whatnot. Again, I, I think I feel I feel like I need a sabbatical from the internet after talking about this story. But no worries, I'll still talk about it for you guys. But Anthony Fantano um, sort of talked about, it. and you know Anthony Fantano, obviously the guy that's uh, re- has, he's been reviewing music on YouTube for the past eleven or so years, twelve or so years. He's Uploaded consistently on his channels, whether it's uh, Fantano or The Needle Drop. Uh, in regards to vinyl, The Needle Drop is in regards to vinyl. We know putting the needle on the vinyl record and letting it play. Uh, that's kind of nerdy, uh, but no worries. Uh, Anthony Fantano, you know him. You know he consistently, you know, makes videos on, you know, album reviews and you know gives his thoughts on some of the best albums of certain years and gives his overall commentary on you know mainstream or even you know you know underground sort of news that circulates the rap rock and other genres worlds that he posts on fantano channel and as i mentioned before anthony fantano did give drake's honestly never mind a not good and part of it's because of the fact that he thought it was one of the drake's lousiest albums one of drake's laziest albums and as a result he decided to give him like a not good rating out of it which is not good as like as through Anthony Fantano would say is anything between like a one and a four. So who knows what the actual rating was, but all all we know is that it's a not good. And as I mentioned on this podcast, you know, honestly, never mind is a really really bad album. Like it's one of the most underwhelming albums of this past year. And I have no sort of hate or or no sort of you know. Honestly, I honestly understand everything that Anthony Fantano was saying about that review, and I agree with him wholeheartedly on everything that he said because it's a one of the most underwhelming albums and one of the saddest albums of 2022. If we're going to be quite honest with you about it, so Anthony Fantano, you know, commented on that, and then Drake sent the three messages, and then Anthony Fantano, out of the wild, you know, posted like an Instagram story. He was like, "When I saw Drake DM me, I'm like, wait." I just didn't turn 18, <laughs> which is like, a f- like it was like, you know that meme where it's like a bunch of like black dudes like being like, oh, like that, like, and like somebody going like this, like that's what it felt like when I saw that. Um, but anyways, I digress. Uh, I saw that and I saw, you know, Drake sort of post that uh, with the Instagram story and, you know, obviously like Twitter was just like talking about it and whatnot. And it was a very entertaining day or so. And then you sort of come down from it and then you sort of sort of think about it and you're like, this is corny behavior on Drake. 
to post three messages back to back to back on on his wife on on you know ranking him as a person is quite lowbrow and i expect more out of drake i know that's kind of sad to say like i know that's kind of like i i shouldn't be i mean honestly like it honestly never mind uh no honestly like i know that's kind of what everybody's saying about it and i know that's a consensus but i did expect more out of drake and then this honestly this example or this incident just proves how corny drake is like if you're a multi-million art million if you're a multi-million dollar artist you should not be in a back and forth with music reviewers like that is like the thing that you should follow by and you should abide by if you're making that much money if you're packing out venues if you're selling out arenas why are you focused on what a fat bald fat vegan has to say about what your music is you know again i love i like anthony fantana i think he gives solid reviews more often than not I'm just calling a spade a spade. I'm, I'm just saying what it is. You know, at the end of the day, you should not be focused that much on what the opinions are of people online. You know, it, be above that. You know, you are a multi-million dollar artist. If you continue being on this track of being the biggest artist within hip hop, there is a good chance that you could be a billionaire and that you could reach Jay-Z Kanye status. Why are you focusing on what some dude from Connecticut has to say about your music? It's it's quite sad, and to, to be honest with you, you know, I, I I knew Drake was corny to begin with. I knew Drake was always corny. Like when he had that song started from the bottom, like dude, like you grew up pretty wealthy in the Toronto area. You became rich through a teen show when you were a teenager. There's nothing like bottom from you. Like the bottom for you from you is probably like making six figures and 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 you know not in you know being on your parents and health insurance like that's probably the bottom for drake um but again it's it's one of those things where you see this and you see the back and forth or not even the back and forth but just the overall hate that drake gives to fantana i'm like dude be above this like honestly like you are at a level that no person will ever be at in hip-hop from now until the death of the art form or the i don't want to say an art form the death of the music genre so why are you focused on what some guy has to say about your music who, generally speaking, has been quite supportive of you? I mean, have you seen, you know, Anthony Fantano's review on If You're Reading This, It's Too Late? It's quite glowing. There are a lot of reviews that Anthony Fantano has on Drake that are quite glowing. So why are you so fixated on the one review that he doesn't really enjoy or the one review of your album that he quite admittedly, quite admittedly does not enjoy and that the vast consensus of your fans also do not enjoy? No one asked for a fashion trap house album from Drake. And, and no one anticipated and no one wants to anticipate another one after what he just dropped. So why is Drake so fixated on Anthony Fantano and his opinions on the world? If anything, you should just take it in stride and be like, you know what? His critique is actually somewhat valid. And you know what? Maybe I posted or you know uploaded an album that I personally enjoy that the people didn't enjoy. But I'll sort of take it and try to make another album that is similar to my previous album, but do so in a way that understands their critique and understands their displeasure and do so in a way that makes an album that that is even that much better. That is what Drake's MO should be. Not posting, you know, messages of or DMs, you know, him of him, you know, targeting his ex-wife because apparently Anthony Fantano is going through a divorce. Um, I don't know. I think that's quite public. 
I don't think he publicly admitted it, but I, I think that's quite known. So, I mean, for him to go after his ex-wife like that, it, it's, it's quite sad. And, and honestly, I expected more out of Drake, honestly. And, and honestly, does Drake even... Like, Drake went after Anthony Fantano for, like, him be, being with a black girl. Imagine if this was, like, a different race. Imagine if, like, uh, if, if a white person, you know, did this to a black reviewer and said, at least you're with a white girl. Like, if we would be, like, honestly, that white artist would be canceled. If Drake was white and he did that, he would be immediately canceled. And I'm, honestly, I'm very sad to see, like, the, the lack of publications that are really covering this. Honestly, like, because... If this was the other way around, the Fader would cover this, Pitchfork would cover this, other music, uh, you know, whether it's Consequence of Sound or, you know, NME or whatnot, Vice, they would all cover it. I mean, it, on, I, and I'm pretty sure they did. I'm pretty sure some did. So if I am if I called you out or, like, said your name, uh, my apologies if you did cover it. But I do feel like there was a lack of music publications that did not cover it for one way or another. And maybe it's because of the fact that they have beef with Anthony Fantano more so they, than, say, Drake. And maybe it's because of the fact that they want to have Drake in their good graces one not. But again, it's like it's one of these things where it's like, if you're a music reviewer, you have to be in support of, of, of Anthony Fantano. You have to, like, it. I know the Fader has a complicated history with Anthony Fantano. I know they wanted to cancel him a few years back because of some videos he made on, like, Sam Hyde or whatnot. But if you're a music reviewer, you have to be in support of Anthony Fantano. I don't care if you're Robert Crisco. I don't care if you're Ian Cohen. I don't care if you're some random pitchfork, a writer that, you know, does not even make the score for their own albums because apparently pitchfork, apparently the writers for pitchfork, they don't even make up the score for the album. They just write their article and then the consensus of the office dictates whether or not the score should be good or not. So sometimes you'll be seeing like an article or like a review for an album on Pitchfork. And you'll be like, wow, this is actually a pretty good review from from Pitchfork. And then you see the uh, the score and it's like a six or a five. And you're like, wait, how does this how does this correspond with the review? Like, how does the score for the album correspond with the review for the album? And you're like, oh, wait. They were making other individuals pick the score for the album. I get it. You know, it's like, so I get, I think reviewers need to be in support of Anthony Fantano because if he's able to go after the biggest music reviewer that's currently on the interwebs, then he has, then he can go after anybody. And I think, you know, the media and more often than not music publications have generally, have generally been in support of Drake for quite some time now. And I think this is now a changing the guard where now journalists have to be and music reviewers have to be more honest about their assessment on Drake, you know, and they have to be more honest about not only his artistic side or <laughs> artistic side, uh, but also his personal life side as well. And I think that's something that needs to be addressed uh, within the music journalist world, if you could call it that, you know, and I know people don't like Anthony Fantano and I know it's very difficult for people to side with Anthony Fantano you know, people may call him cringeworthy or cringy, and, and I understand their argument, you know, but for me, like, I have to defend him because at the end of the day, he's still a person that gives his opinions on YouTube, you know, no different than I am, you know, so I feel like for him to just be given this, for simply stating his opinion on an album that you released, a commercial album that you released, again, it's different if you release something for free or whatnot, but if you release an album and you expect people to pay money for it, a commercial album that you expect people to pay money for it don't be surprised when people give their thoughts that are not flattering to your album 
That is the drawback. It, that is the small price you pay for when you are in this arena. When you get the fame, when you get the attention, when you get the spotlight, when you're making millions and millions of dollars by making crappy raps because that's been synonymous with Drake's career. You know, when you make a living out of mediocre bars, don't be surprised when you have individuals critique that. And again, that's the small price you have to pay for the fame and for the fortune. The small price you pay for is critique, is criticism, is criticism on your art, is criticism on the personal life that you also market as a brand. So do not be surprised when you have other individuals like Anthony Fantano critique it. You know, again, I know Drake's sort of, you know, I'm pretty sure Drake surrounds himself with the hanger-ons and with social climbers and with yes-men. I'm pretty sure that's Drake's circle by now. So maybe he's sort of unaccustomed to hearing actual genuine opinions on his album from somebody on, on online. But this is not the way you should do it, Drake. This is not the way. I'm, I'm pretty sure Drake is not watching this. I, I would be surprised if he, if he was. Uh, but again, this is not the way that you should uh, you should be around artists. I mean, this is not the way you should be around with reviewers. You know, take their opinions in stride. If somebody has a genuine opinion on your art, understand that he took a genuine amount of time to properly dissect what you're doing and, and to hear out your side and, and listen to it, listen to their own side of things. And maybe you could improve as an artist based off their critique, based off their advice, based off their criticisms and go from there. And that's something that Drake needs to do. Otherwise, he will continually, continuously be in the spiral of just DMing reviewers for not liking his art or not liking the products that he pushes. And that's not a good sign. And I think that music journalists, especially people that are in the trades, you know, I don't know whether it's the Rolling Stones or whether it's the um, Pitchforks. I don't know if Pitchfork covered this. I'm pretty sure they did. Um, so my apologies. But I feel like music publications need to be in support of this reviewer because if it can happen to Fantano, it can definitely happen to you. So be on your P's and Q's with Drake. And be honest about Drake. I, I want to hear more honesty about Drake. I do not want to see a circle jerk on, on Drake. I think the days of just simply having a, a stroke fest on Drake are long gone. I, I think people need to be more honest about Drake's career. Uh, personally, for me, I'm not that big of a fan of Drake. Um, that's just my opinion, though. I mean, there are some songs that I enjoy, but I feel like it's just way too way too commercial and it, it sort of loses substance after a while like there's certain times where you hear a song after repeated listens where at first you enjoy it but after some time you're like you sort of see the cracks in the song you sort of nitpick a lot and i think that's sort of what comes down to it with drake like obviously there are a lot of people that look like me that are indian that love drake i mean there's there are a lot of indians that love i mean if you go to a drake concert it's probably the most diverse thing you can ever see like going to a drake concert is probably the most diverse thing you will ever see in your life like I, again it's 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 quite impressive to see what drake has done but for me like i'm a guy that like if i hear a thing for so long i ended i end up not enjoying it as i once did because i'm so nitpicky about it you know that's why i sort of stopped watching comedy specials because i for one get so nitpicky nitpicky about it and i sort of see like the long drawn out pauses or the lack thereof of pauses. I see the lack of comedic timing. I see how a comedian sort of use physical humor to bail themselves out of a half-assed or half-thought-out bit. You know, that's why I've sort of stopped watching comedy specials a lot because of the fact that 
you know, it, it's sort of difficult for me to really watch a special in its, in, its, in its entirety without really sort of nitpicky, without nitpicking on it or without, you know, sort of, you know, being like anal about it, for lack of a better word. So overall, those are my thoughts on the Anthony Fantano Drake thing. I was surprised to see Drake, you know, address Anthony Fantano. I'm pretty sure every artist known to man knows who Anthony Fantano is at this point. But I was sort of surprised to see him call him out. And I feel like Drake on his Instagram stories and whatnot, I feel like he's just so cringy. And this is just another example of corny behavior. I remember one time he posted, Drake posted like a video or like a, or a photo of him trying to get with this girl and being like, does anybody know who this girl is? I think she's so beautiful. And like, he publicly like just like posted that on his Instagram story with a picture of that girl. I'm like, isn't this like an, an intrusion of behavior or like intrusion of privacy? Like imagine if like some Joe Schmo did that. Like I would like literally like message him and be like, what are you doing? Like you thought that was a good idea to, if that was like a friend of mine, and he posted that uh, posted a, a picture of him trying to get with a girl that he just saw at brunch. I would be like, dude, what are you doing? Like you are embarrassing yourself. And that's sort of how I view with Drake and with with his overall DM on Anthony Fantano. So overall, those are my thoughts on Drake and the Anthony Fantano situation. And those are my thoughts on the topics that I listed for today. Uh, let's get into my weekly pick, shall we? So each and every week, I recommend a book, a piece of art, an album that I really enjoy that I think you guys will enjoy as well. This week, I'll be recommending a film that was released this past year, uh, Vengeance, directed and written by BJ Novak. This is a great film. I really enjoyed this film. It was released back in the summer, but I just caught wind watching it. The film stars BJ Novak as he goes to a funeral in Texas for his former hookup, Abilene, as he decides to make a podcast documenting his time in Texas. And it's quite important to note that BJ Novak's character is from Brooklyn or from the New York City area. And he is a, he comes across and plays himself as the unlikable protagonist in this film. He comes across as the unlikable protagonist. And there are times in this film where he does a great job of that. You know, in the beginning of the film, I feel like in the first hour or so, where he makes these small little quips and small little humor, I feel like that was sort of very, you know, you know, sort of in line with what we've come to expect or what, what we would expect from B.J. Novak in this film. And it, it's a really good film. And in that sort of early start of the film really documents that in a way that we that I really wanted to see from this film. And again, the humor is great in this film. Uh, the story in itself is quite, you know, simple. It's quite straightforward, but still very entertaining to watch. Uh, again, there are some parts in the film where I'm like, okay, this is a little too, too weird. I feel like his overall spiel at Whataburger to the family, I'm like, all right, this is a little too much. Also, I felt like the ending was a little bit hacky. Uh, again, spoilers. So click out of the video if you don't want to hear spoilers or, you know, click to the end or click to the next chapter on the YouTube video if you don't want to hear spoilers. But there is uh, at the end of the at the end, you know, when it comes to Abilene's death, you know, and seeing what happened to her, you know, he realizes that she died of an opioid overdose. And the person that was supplying the opioid to Abilene was her former uh, music coach, and he decides to shoot him. Uh, and I felt like that was kind of a hacky way to end it, uh, because it sort of proves that he is the unlikable character and that we should really shouldn't have been supporting him all along. And that sort of gave us the 
ability to not support him. So I feel like it sort of ends in a, in a way that's not really enjoyable. I felt like this was a film, in my opinion, that could have been better if it had an ambiguous ending. Like if it ended with him just going back to New York and seeing you know his former music coach or her former music coach supply opioids to Abilene, and it just ended with him just going back to New York in that train and that subway station, it would be like 10 out of 10 film. It would be honestly one of my favorite films of this past year. Uh, but still, I enjoyed this film. I felt like this film needed an ambiguous ending. And I know people don't like ambiguous endings. They, they don't like ambiguity. They need answers. They need solutions. They need finality to the products that they watch. But for me, I sort of like ambiguity in certain instances because I do think that it actually accentuates a movie. And I think that this film could have benefited with having with having some form of ambiguity. And I think that this film could be could have been better if it ended with a non-ending. So again, those are just my overall thoughts on the movie. It's still great. I mean, it's still a good movie. It's not my favorite film of 2022. I, I still need to watch other films. I have a backlog of films that I need to watch. Uh, Crimes of the Future, I still not have. I still not have watched. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, I still not have watched that film. Um, I still need to watch uh, Prey, Men, um, and there are other films like Whale, uh, that are coming out later this year, Blonde, Babylon, uh, Barbarian. Uh, there are a lot of films with, with with that start with B that I need to watch. I think I listed like eight or nine films that I need to watch, but still, uh, Vengeance, BJ Novak, good film. Go check it out. Uh, it, it could have been better if it was ambiguous. That's all I'm going to say about that. But overall, still a great screenplay, great uh, writing, great comedic timing on BJ Novak. Um you know, that's sort of, I never watched The Office. I've never watched a single episode of The Office. So I had, I was literally coming in with, you know, with blind, with blindness. I had no idea what the comedy would be, but it's pretty good. It's a pretty good movie. Uh, go check it out. It's definitely one of the better films of 2022. And things may change. I, I may view this film as a better film as the months go on and as I see other films in 2022. But overall, good film, BJ Novak's Vengeance. Go check it out. It's on streaming platforms. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure. So anyways, anyways, guys, thanks. Thank you guys so much for watching. Thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure you guys like, subscribe, and click the bell icon for notifications down below. Make sure you follow me on my Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at OJ Tucker, A-J-A-Y-T-H-A-K-K-A-R underscore at the end. Uh, the links are down in the description box below. Make sure you guys comment on any of the topics that I discussed, uh, whether it is uh, my weekly pick, whether it's Drake and Anthony Fantano, Kyrie Irving sharing a 2002 Alex Jones video, or Roger Federer retiring. Any of your thoughts, comments, questions down below, I'll do my best, best response to each and every one of them, if I think they're good enough. Uh, make sure you guys uh, rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I think that would be great. And last but not least, make sure you guys spread it through word of mouth. I think it's very, very important to uh, send it through your text chain and create a, create a community here that is uh, honest, uh, honest about their opinions and thoughts and, and do so in a way that values comedy above all. So guys, uh, thank you guys so much for watching. Thank you guys so much for listening. And I'll see you guys on Thursday. We'll talk more about things that are happening in our political and societal world, as well as things that are happening in the tennis world as well. So guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you guys on Thursday. All right, guys. Peace. See you all.